You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. When you think of the Apostle Paul, what do you think of? What is, what is he known for? He's clever, faithful, smart, travelling. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't stay still, does he? Absolutely. The Apostle Paul's known for a lot of things. One, one of the things, if you, if you read any of the, the Apostle's epistles or letters, is that you will see pretty well every letter starts with this overflow of almost gushing thanksgiving for people and praise to God. If you read any of the Pauline letters, you will see that. He, he's, he's offering prayers for the people. He's offering thanksgiving for the people that he's writing to. And yeah, quite lengthy. Some, some of them, you almost need to take a deep breath about halfway through. They're that long, you know. He's, he's just going and going and going. Well, interestingly, all of Paul's letters do this except for Galatians except for Galatians. Paul's letter to the church in Galatia is different. It does contain a greeting. So there's a greeting there at the start, but not a normal Paul greeting. It's short. It's pretty straight, just like my little uh, before. And his tone to the Galatians is, is very much firm. It almost comes across as being quite angry at times. And in his letter, Paul sternly addresses some, some core things of the Christian faith, things that the Galatians or anyone who wants to follow Jesus today, um, that, that should we, or should the Galatians or anyone, fail to grasp, they'd run the risk of, as Paul says very early on in Galatians, believing in another gospel altogether. That's in Galatians 1.6. The stakes are, at least in Paul's eyes, really that high. Now, over the next two weeks, we're going to explore this hard-hitting letter of Paul's. I'll, I'll share today, and Laura's going to share and wrap up our series next Sunday. And as always, we'll be digging deeper together and continuing this conversation in connect groups week to week as well. So how about we pray as we open God's beautiful word and, and invite Holy Spirit to, to bring the important truths of Galatians alive to our hearts today, that we may all heed the warning of Galatians so we can all stick true to the gospel and live in freedom through Christ today. Let's pray together. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much. Thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that you are going to move in our hearts as we are washed in your word this morning. And God, I pray that you would your word would go forward in power, that your word would be just shared with boldness and courage and that you would speak through me, God, so that your word would be coming alive to our hearts, that your word would be bringing the gospel truths home to us, that we might walk out of this place changed, empowered, strengthened with greater resolve to live for no other gospel, no other message, no other cause other than that of Jesus Christ. So God, we pray that as we open 
open this beautiful book of Galatians. We pray, Jesus, that you would speak powerfully to us and take us deeper in your ways. May we know you more and may we faithfully serve you and steward the calling that we've been given. So we praise this, we praise you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, who knows who this guy is? No, this guy. Martin Luther, well done. Not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther. Now, what was Martin Luther famous for? Anyone want to hazard a guess? The Reformation. Well done. We've got a few historians in the room. That's good. He was, a, he was one of the key figures in what's known as the, the Protestant Reformation. And the Pro- Protestant Reformation began all the way back in the 1500s on the 31st of October, 1517. This was the date that Martin Luther, he was a teacher and a monk, he published what, uh, a document he called, and this is the full name, Disputation on the Power of Indulgences, or 95 Theses for short. We'll go with 95 Theses. And not only did he, did he formally publish this work, but he did something else with this work as well. Anyone want to have a guess what he did? Nailed it to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. As a, as a statement, as a declaration um, in addressing some things. So why did he do it? Anyone, anyone want to have a guess? Yep. Yeah, so everyone would know we had a problem. We just jump on Facebook if we want to let someone know we've got a problem. Or what's that new Twitter? What's it called? Threads. That's right. I'm not on it. Um, why did, why did he do it? He actually did it to condemn the excesses and corruption of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. So here, here's a little insight into it. In the 1500s, it was common practice for Roman Catholic priests to ask for payments. And these payments were called indulgences for the forgiveness of sins. Let that sink in for a minute. These payments were collected... And they were used to help finance the renovations of those super impressive cathedrals that we see all through uh, Europe, such as St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And while the the sale of indulgences had been banned in Wittenberg, many church members of where Martin Luther was, they still committed to travel great distances to other geographical locations to purchase them And then they would return and claim to Luther that because of their payments, they no longer had to repent for their sins. So this was was going on historically. Now, it's called 95 Theses for a reason. This is just one of the issues (laughs) Luther had with what was going on in the church at the time. Now, as you can imagine, what happens when you might point out something to a big, powerful thing doesn't go down well, does it? Often doesn't go down well. You know, the, the old thing of having avenues for whistleblowers in the army or something to call out things, what happens to the whistleblower? They get shafted. They do the very thing that's encouraged and then they do it and then they're ostracised and 
and um, the powers that be come against them. So what happened was a a copy of of Luther's writings made their way all the way to Rome and efforts started to get him to recant his writings. So they thought, look, if we just... If we can get him to just go against all the 95 things he's written about, that'll be easier for us. So what happened was Luther flatly refused. He said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And in 1521, he was officially excommunicated from the Catholic Church. And in the same year, Luther, in discussions with the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V of Germany, he again refused to recant his writings. He's pretty bold, isn't he? No to the church in Rome, no to the emperor, I'm not going to do that. And then in, um, the, the emperor issued a famous edict. Can anyone remember from history what that edict was called? The Edict of Worms, correct. And declaring this, this edict was like a judgment that went out throughout all the lands, declaring Luther to be a heretic a heretic and an outlaw, and get this, like listen to this, it gave permission for anyone who wanted to, to kill him without consequence. That is some, like, man, mess with the powers of B, that's what you get. But here's the thing, God was with Luther. God was with Luther because he wanted to see changes come about in the church as well. And interestingly enough, there was a, there was a, a prince, Prince Fed, Frederick III, who he had actually banned the sale of indulgences in Wittenberg, and so he was a very influential backer of Luther, and he actually protected him from getting killed, basically. Um, and under his protection, Luther began translating the Bible into German, a task that took him 10 years to complete. Now, all of Luther's efforts eventually resulted in a bit of a standoff between high-ranking officials in each German state. Will we enforce the Edict of Worms? Will we, will we basically go with our allegiance to the emperor and what he says? Or will we refuse and maintain our allegiance to God? And many regions rightly refused to enforce the emperor's edict. And all of these people back then in Germany became known as Protestants. And this name eventually became used to describe anyone, not only people in Germany, but all around the world who believed that the church should be reformed. And if we fast forward to today, we got Luther to thank that we're even here, that we're even able to have God's word in our own language. It's not just in Latin, it's not just in other, you know, in our own dialect, in how it's been translated into however many languages all over the globe, and we have Luther to thank. That the Bible is not just for, for people in positions of power, but it's freely distributed through commoners as well. And any of us can freely open and read God's word for ourselves. Praise God for mighty, bold, faithful servants such as Martin Luther. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's great. I thought I was done with history because I've finished school or uni a while ago, but why are you sharing all of this today? Why share all this about Martin Luther? Well, it's because 
Paul's letter to the Galatians played a key role in the Reformation movement. Galatians was central to the Reformation. Martin Luther, in a set of lectures he published on Galatians, writes these words in 1535. He says, We have taken it upon ourselves in the Lord's name to lecture on this epistle of Paul to the Galatians once more. This is not because we want to teach something new or unknown, for by the grace of God, Paul is now very well known to you. But it is because, as I often warn you, there is a clear and present danger that the devil may take away from us the pure doctrine of faith and may substitute for it the doctrines of works and of human traditions. Now that is a great way to summarise Galatians and I want to suggest that is just as much relevant for us living today as well. This gets to the heart of what Paul's concern was for the churches in Galatia at the time. But not only should it serve as a warning and encouragement to them, but this highlights how it should warn and encourage us today too. Like the Galatians, we can very easily move away from trusting in the pure doctrine of faith to one shaped by human traditions and doctrines of works too. And so all of this backstory kind of gives you a bit of an insight into why Paul comes across in the tone that he's, that he's got. Why at times you might read and think, ooh, he's almost a little bit of anger there. Like, what's going on? Because as Paul's, Paul's seen, everything is at stake here. Everything is on the line. It's really that serious. He's, he's so serious and he's so invested in what he's saying that unlike his other letters where, you know, he, he has a scribe writing down the majority of, of his teachings so that he can just share and someone tries to follow along, at the end of Galatians, in Galatians 6.11, he actually grabs the pen and starts writing it down himself. He's like that invested. He's that passionate about the message that he's getting across. He Galatians 6.11, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Like, like he's invested. This, this message is so important to Paul and it so, should be so important to us as well. So you might, if, you, if you're not familiar with Galatians, maybe you're seeking spiritual truth, you've never heard of Galatians, this book, um, let me share with you a little bit of a background about what was happening in Galatia back then. So back then, there, when you know, the church was originally through the Jews and um, Jewish believers of Jesus from other nationalities were welcomed in later on. And so what was happening in Galatia was Jewish converts to Christianity, the, the Judaizers were teaching that if anyone was to be saved, they must first become Jewish proselytes and submit themselves to the judicial and ceremonial mosaic laws of the Old Testament, in addition to having faith in Christ. Does it, does it, was that clear enough? So, so they're saying, guys, it's, faith in Christ is all good, but you've also got to follow all these laws that we've kept and our forefathers have kept for generations. And to top that all off, just probably another reason why Paul comes across as a bit angry, they were, they were speaking against Paul and undermining his authority and credibility. 
And so, you know, all of this kind of paints a bit of a picture and it helps to explain why Paul's pretty straight in this letter. He doesn't waste words. He just goes there, bang. Welcome, this is who I am. Grace be with you. And then whack, straight in. So Paul's writing to churches that he personally helped establish as well. These churches in Galatia are not like foreign to him. He knows these people. He loves these people. He ate with these people. He laughed with these people. He, he taught. He fellowshiped with these people. He spent time with these people. So when he hears that these people, whole church communities are being infiltrated and then are being led astray by false teaching, he writes a letter sternly calling them to return to the right path once again. After his beautiful introduction, he doesn't mince his words. Here's what he writes in Galatians 1, 6-9. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's pretty straight, isn't it? A lot is on the line and Paul doesn't waste any time. And Galatians as, a, as an entire book is, is basically divided into three clear sections. And, and they are Paul's introduction and, and justification of his message and his authority, directly explaining to those who are trying to undermine him why he has authority to say what he says. The second appeals to believers to stay true to the gospel and understand the nature of God's family. It's not just Jews by birth any longer. It's people who are believers of Jesus adopted into his family of God from all ethnic backgrounds. And the third thing appeals for believers to live by the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so... After, after expressing his astonishment that they're turning away from the only gospel, Paul then shares why his message is true and why he is worth listening to. He shares about how he's been called personally by Jesus to share the gospel. He shares about the divine encounter he had with the Lord. And he explains the message that he's sharing and has shared with them is the very same message that has been accepted by the apostles. So he's kind of putting these building blocks in place. Guys, I have authority. I'm not speaking some different message. I'm saying what's been said since Jesus. Jesus gave it to me, his apostles, all of his disciples. It's this very same message. This is what it is. And then in Galatians 2, 15 to 16, he gets right to the heart of the matter. Justification. How we are made right with God. Reading from verse 15. Paul writes, He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not 
by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. That's pretty straight and that's pretty clear, isn't it? Paul writes to a church who are are rapidly shifting back or at risk of falling back into old ways. People who are turning from a gospel of grace back to the observance of the law with religious practices like circumcision, for instance. And, and he's just saying, guys, guys, don't, don't miss this. Don't fall for that. You're not made right with God by what you can do. You're made right with God by what he's already done. And you are only made right through faith in Jesus. Works of the law won't do it. No other works in any way, shape or form will do it. They never have and they never will. And this is why, in a nutshell, Galatians was so dear to Martin Luther. This is why it was such a precious book to him. And no doubt, as he read it himself, how it fueled his 95 theses and and just a passion for seeing the truth of the gospel proclaimed and people living in the freedom of identity in Christ. You know, um, you might know of the five solas. It's the of the Reformation, Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and to God alone be the glory. They were the five sort of overarching statements of the Reformation movement. And all of them, you read Galatians, you'll see them contained within the pages of Galatians. Now, again, you might be thinking, yeah, well, that's, that's great, it's lovely, but how does it relate to me? I, I know I'm made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So what's, what's, what's your point this morning? Well, you might think that. You might think that, or, or maybe if you're seeking spiritual truth today, you might not know that, but that is the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that means faith in Jesus And if you place your faith in Jesus, if you're seeking, looking for truth today, it's as simple as this. You place your faith in Jesus, you believe in what he's done, what his death achieved on the cross, what his resurrection means for all of us in terms of new life and hope of future glory, of being reunited with God one day, then you are saved. It's as simple as that. But if you're a believer, you might think that, as well, you might think, well, I know that. I, I've, I've done it for 50 years. I know that. I've walked that walk. I'm, I know that full well. Well, you might well think that. And I know from chatting with lots of people and from chatting with plenty of other, other pastors too, that while most people in churches say that they do, they hear that and they go, oh yeah, absolutely. That's what I believe. No doubt about it. A whole lot of people, a whole lot of us, subscribe to a Jesus and Christianity, a Jesus and Christianity. You know, you probably don't even consciously think about it as you go about your day-to-day life. But if you dug deep down into your heart, into your core motivations, the the very things that drive what you do, what you value, what you prioritize you know, what fuels your behaviours, you might actually discover that you're doing certain things all in the name of God to, in your mind, without even realising it perhaps, 
hopefully somehow earn God's favour. Somehow earn your standing with God, even earn your salvation. Now, I remember one time in particular, it was at one of our, our local pastor's gatherings. We have monthly gatherings as ministers in town together and have coffee, pray for one another, our churches, God to move in the valley, those sort of things. And I remember one time I was chatting with one of the other pastors and he was, had just come from spending time with an elderly man who was loose, very loosely associated with his denominational church. This man was, was near death. He was absolutely in his last, last days. And my friend had gone to just spend some time with him, to pray with him, to encourage him as that day approached. And I'll never forget the look on my pastor friend's face as he explained what this man had said to him. My friend was just, as you do, was chatting with him, was hearing stories of his life, was asking him about family, different things, and, and after some time turned the conversation to God and things of, of a spiritual nature and internal rewards and, and just asked him to describe how, how he was looking forward to those things, taking hold of them, being in a place that doesn't have the burdens that we all experience in this life of sickness and suffering and all sorts of things. And this man looked my friend in the face and he said, well, well, pastor, look, I, I think I've lived a pretty decent life. I think I'm a, a pretty good person. I, I, I really hope that I've done enough for God. And a bit taken aback, my friend was, he, my friend started to just unpack it a little bit more and, and like, well, you know, you, you know you've, you've grown up in the church, you've been associated with, with this over many years and the Bible teaches how it's about faith in Jesus Christ, it's the key and because of what Jesus' work's done, God's declared us righteous, our state before God the Father is now through Jesus perfect. Once again, we are restored to relationship all through our placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And the man looked at him, sharing that, and he just sort of shrugged and said, well, I don't know about all of that. I guess I'll find out if I've done enough before too long. Friends, if that isn't a tragic tale, I don't know what is. This is a man in his late 80s who has lived his entire life right up until his dying days, never having actually grasped the gospel. He did not understand it. He didn't, and because he didn't understand that, because he didn't understand that it's not through his works or what he could do that he could be in right relationship with God, but only through faith in what Jesus has done, he didn't possess the deep abiding peace that comes with that as well. And so he was at the end of his days and he, he didn't have assurance of salvation. He genuinely did not know, you know, what, what was going to happen, what was to come. And even in hearing the gospel presented to him, he didn't even know if he believed that that was going to be enough. Like, that is absolutely tragic. And, and my, my, my pastor friend, he, he very soberly reflected afterwards, he said, I just don't honestly know in my heart of hearts if that man's even saved. 
Like, isn't that tragic? That's absolutely tragic. If, if that man had ever actually placed his faith in the person of Jesus Christ, not just in a concept of there being a God and him being in three part and, you know, God created the heavens and the earth and, and then all these things happened and story of redemption and you could go into all theology and all that sort of stuff. This man had missed the very heart of the story, the very heart, the power for Christian living, the wonder of the gospel, the good news. And tragically, this man had a Jesus end idea, or or sadly, maybe even not a Jesus end, but just an end idea of Christianity. Somewhere along the track, whether through his his own lack of connection with a church community so that he could be discipled, or through poor discipleship on a church's part, or whatever reasons he had believed in, as Paul said, another gospel altogether. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not at that stage and that kind of thing, but let's be real. All of us, we don't need to be at the end of life stage to be misled, do we? We can easily be misled in any stage of life. We can all all too easily fall into a Jesus and walk as Christians, thinking we need to do things in order to win God's favour or approval without, without saying it as such, without even verbalising it or even cognitively thinking it, we can subconsciously kind of live and work and strive to be successful in our workplaces, in our marriages, in raising kids who know and love Jesus, in our families, in some way hoping that our success in those things will earn us favour with God in some way, yeah? Does this resonate with anyone? You know, hoping that our favour will somehow earn God's favour and he will look at us and he will smile on our efforts and then one day, because of all these things, he'll go, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, he might do that one day, but it won't be because of those things. It'll be because you have made the choice that tragically it seems this man did not and you've chosen to place your faith in Jesus and in him alone. You know, some of us, as we reflect on, on past choices or, or even current patterns of sin in our lives, we, we can struggle to believe that what Jesus has achieved on the cross is actually enough for us. Yeah? Has anyone ever struggled with that before as we look at the sum of our lives or different choices or we certain behaviours that maybe we're, we're engaged in and we, and we go, man, I am so broken, I am so lost, how could I possibly, how, how could God possibly forgive me? I'm, a, I'm an absolute mess, you know? We, we deep down, we, we, this is our experience and because of this, deep down, we, we try to do the good things, we're like motivated to do the good things because we hope that by doing good things in some way we'll make up for our bad things. Yeah? Do you know what I'm saying? That's an example of Jesus and Christianity. I'll, I'll be a bit kinder than Paul was to the Galatians because, well, I'm standing right here before you after all. 
And you guys aren't going after another gospel, I'm sure. You're working hard not to. Here's, here's the truth. And if you believe this wholeheartedly, this is enough to be right with God. Completely. Full stop. Right? Listening? Kids, listen to this. This is important. We are justified, which means we are made right with God through faith in Christ alone. Full stop. It's not and something else and being a faithful financial steward and weekly attendance at church and doing this and that. No, we are justified. We are made right with God through faith in Christ alone. Full stop. The things we do don't affect our salvation. As we've looked at recently, the good things we do, honouring one another, loving one another, showing hospitality to one another, and all the other one another's, all of those things, they prove that we are Jesus' disciples, but they don't influence whether or not we're saved one little bit. Yeah? Even the things we look at as being the worst of sins, you know, our own personal worst sins, when we're, we're sitting just in our own thoughts and maybe reflecting on different choices over the journey and, and maybe with a tinge of regret at different things and the impact of different things in our lives, even those things, they can't separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. They can't take our salvation because our salvation is through faith in Christ alone. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. Full stop. That's why when Jesus is hanging there on the cross and the criminal looked at him, that's why Jesus could say just simply, today you will be with me in paradise. Did that, did that guy have time to, to prove his faithfulness as a disciple? Did he have time to go through an introduction to Christianity course? Did he do Alpha? Did he do any of these things? No. He put his faith in the man hanging on the cross. He trusted in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, mate, that's enough for you. So if that's enough for him, and let's be real, the Apostle Paul, what does he call himself? His own words. I am the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners. And he persecuted the church. He killed. They believe he was there at the stoning of Stephen. That he was standing there approving over the stoning of Stephen. If, if that is enough for the Apostle Paul, I think that's enough for us. I think that's actually enough for any, let's just go there, for any murderer, for any rapist, for anyone who truly repents and places their faith in Jesus, that's enough. That's enough. And friends, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the wonder of the gospel. This is why I have always and always will be harping on about the wonder of the gospel. Because it's, it's a cause of celebration, not just once, but a cause of ongoing celebration. And this will 
This is something that we need to and will need to, until Jesus' return, remind ourselves of over and over and over again because we love thinking that it's on us to do things, don't we? Everything in life. You know, what's what's a good example? Cost of living bites and we think, what do we need to do? We need to get another job. And, and maybe we do. Like, that's not unwise. But are we, have we been searching for a second job all the while neglecting to ask our Father in heaven for, to provide for our daily needs? We're pretty good at thinking we need to do it when maybe we actually just need to ask and see that he won't supply our every need. You know what I'm saying. This is something we need to remind ourselves of over and over Again, And this is why the Apostle Paul went so hard and straight with the churches in Galatia. This is why Martin Luther treasured Paul's letter to the Galatians like he did. This truth is central to our faith. It's a truth that's worth remembering, defending, and it's a very truth that leads us to embracing true freedom in Christ. Because, friends, if we don't believe this, we can't embrace the freedom that Christ offers because we'll always be bound. We'll be bound in a Jesus and expression of faith to the end of our days. And Jesus doesn't want that for any of us. And we don't want that for anyone. And if you're seeking spiritual truth, you don't want that. You just want Jesus. So let let God's word encourage and remind you, or even perhaps for the very first time, if you're seeking today, that there's nothing you need to do or can do to earn God's favour. There's nothing you can do to be made right with God. Only through faith in Jesus is anyone made right with God. As Paul writes in Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray and celebrate this wonderful truth and invite Holy Spirit to really plant this firmly deep down inside in our hearts so we can live our lives in light of this truth. The gospel is not just something we've believed in once. The gospel is the very fuel. It's like the wind in our sails to live life for Jesus. Let's believe this gospel, let's live this gospel and let's celebrate and rejoice always that we are right with God simply through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that it's not by works so that none of us can boast, but it's simply by grace that we have been saved. It's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by placing our faith in you, Jesus, we have been declared righteous. We have been declared that we are in right standing with God. When you, God, when you look on us, you don't just see us for, for as our, we are in a natural sense with, with conflicting desires and, and um, haphazard energy for following you and worshipping you. But God, you see Jesus in us. You see that we have been cleansed by the blood 
of Jesus Christ. You see that we are not dead, but we have been raised to new life with your son, Jesus. And we thank you, God, that all of that has been achieved and is appropriated, which means we take hold of it only through faith in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. We thank you, Jesus, that there is nothing we could do. There is nothing we could do to make you love us more. There is nothing that we could do to to secure our salvation more than just the simple reality of having our faith placed firmly in Jesus Christ. So may we all do that, God. If we're seeking spiritual truth, may today be the day that we secure ourselves, tether ourselves to God through faith in Jesus Christ. May today be the day where we embrace freedom through Christ as we hear for the very first time the gospel and receive the gospel and then go out in the power of the gospel. And for those of us, Lord, who have been Christian for a while, we pray that we might have this truth firmly planted in our hearts and that that might be causing all the good fruits of good works and um, praise and all the one another's to be shown as, as acts of worship in response to what you've done. Jesus, we thank you that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.